I never really wrote poetry until I went through the breakup and it sort of just like catapulted this like side of me out where I was just going through so much pain that I had to just bleed it out of my system <laughs> and I kept writing and I couldn't I couldn't stop because I was just in so much pain and I just sort of wrote and it was very almost like therapeutic it was sort of my way of just kind of getting it out of my system and making sense of what had happened so What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to another episode of What Were You Thinking? Have you heard my new middle grade novel, Shift, is out now and available wherever books are sold. This is a great book for your readers who are eight to 10 years old. And side note, it would make a great gift for any teachers who teach grades three to seven. Teachers love getting books for their classrooms. So if you would like an autographed copy for someone you know, just hit up my website, danagoldstein.ca, and you can order a personalized copy there. This week, I'm going back to the poetry again. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know, poetry is not always my thing. But I had a great conversation with Jamie Madigan, author of Lipstick Stains and Coffee Cups. It's a poetry book unlike any other I've read. It chronicles her time in an abusive relationship and the breakup and the fallout after and her recovery process. It's beautiful prose, not always easy to read. It's not full of unicorns and rainbows, friends, but I think you will enjoy this conversation. So let's get on with the show. Jamie Madigan, Lipstick Stains and Coffee Cups. Okay, so let's talk about Lipstick Stains and Coffee Cups. This is your first published collection of poetry, right? Is this your first published work ever? It is, yeah. So I published it in February. So just early beginning of this year, I released it on Valentine's Day to kind of set the theme for, you know, love and relationships. I have to be very transparent. And anybody who has listened to this podcast knows that I am terrible at poetry, not just writing it, but reading it as well. I've struggled like my entire life. However, (laughs) I will say that there was a clear line between the before and after Mm -hmm. um, of the two, uh, I guess, sides of this story or the sides of you as what you experienced. So I don't want to put the words in your mouth. So tell us, uh, tell us first what lipstick stains and coffee cups is about and how it's divided and then tell us why. Yeah. Okay. So lipstick stains and coffee cups, it's a metaphor for the title. So the first half, I see it as a lipstick stain. Like you think of a lipstick stain when it gets on a shirt or on a bed sheet or something. And it's sometimes a little bit more difficult to get off or even just any type of stain. And so that I... I kind of had in the first half of the book to sort of cover more darker themes. So like blood, guts, vultures, depression, like lots of mental health things, like the breakup. 
and just kind of a metaphor to show that breakups can have a very tumultuous impact and it can leave a stain and maybe over time the stain will go away but it still kind of leaves that impact initially and then the second half is the coffee cups and I always think of that when people drink a fresh cup of coffee like you think of like a crisp autumn day on the porch with a cup of coffee in your hand and the birds are chirping and it's just a feeling like the experience of warmth and comfort and new beginnings towards life and so I kind of wanted to mesh them all together or have it have it I guess flow from beginning to end and so when I was making the book I had all the poems but I had one day where I went out on my kitchen table and I put every single poem in order and I was like okay let me just do a puzzle piece and see what flows beginning to end and I kind of had to separate the two of them of like these are the dark ones these are the happy ones and sort of create like a a nice divide and then it kind of gives the readers it doesn't really keep the readers in a dark place. It kind of brings them sort of out of the tunnel and then it kind of ends on a happier note, which I think is always, always nice. So, yeah. And you wrote this in response to a uh, breakup and uh, from an abusive relationship. Yes. Yeah. So I was, I was 18 at the time and it was my very first relationship. I had never experienced like even just a girlfriend, boyfriend dynamic before. So I think at that age, when you're so young, you're very naive. And so I didn't, I didn't know at the time that it was abuse. Like I knew, I knew something was wrong, but I I remember it being so, so terrible that I, I almost convinced myself that it wasn't happening. Like I felt like very delusional in that way where I was like, well, I must be imagining this because this is like no person, no person could be this evil. Like this must just be in my head, which is which is crazy to look back on now. And then you realize everything that has gone on. Did you write poems before this? Um, No, I didn't actually. So I, yeah. So, well, I always, I always was interested in creative writing. So I always loved journalism in school. I always loved like English class. I was very artsy. So like art class, drama class, English, all of those kind of arts for art forms like of literature, I really was drawn to. And so I loved writing stories and like just kind of having stories in my head. But I never really wrote poetry until I went through the breakup. And it sort of just like catapulted this like side of me out where I was just going through so much pain that I had to just bleed it out of my system. <laughs> and I kept writing and I couldn't, I couldn't stop because I was just in so much pain. And I just sort of wrote and it was very almost like therapeutic. It was sort of my way of just kind of getting it out of my system and making sense of what had happened. So why do you think it came out as, as poetry as opposed to narrative prose? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I, I think in a way it was almost a way for me to protect myself because I think I was still very um, in a very fragile state. And so I didn't want to write it so cut and dry because I think if I wrote it as a story it would be like a plus b equals c here's what happened you know and it's a little bit more clear whereas as poetry you can use metaphors and you can use ways to sort of twist your words and make it so it's not as easy to perceive so it's sort of sort of helped like I knew the truth of it but in my head I'm like I can still release this and it's maybe not going to be so clear to other people and they might have to like spend a little bit more time to decipher it And I think I like the creative process of that because then I was able to look into the dictionary and like find words and, you know, play around with different words. So 
I think I liked that concept of sort of almost putting it together like a puzzle piece. So, yeah. And you decided to self-publish this. Yeah. So initially I actually wanted to get a publisher behind me. So I worked on it during the pandemic. I had, I had all these poems basically lying around. I was like, okay, this is a good time for me to sit down and I can work through this. And I put them all in order and I started reaching out to publishers and literary agents and I was querying and I had um, Excel charts and I had everything all organized. And a lot of them, a few of them kind of got back to me and said, yeah, we're interested, but not right now. Or, you know, and it was just kind of rejection after rejection. And I was like, you know, at that point, it was almost like 50 rejections. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm like, I'll kind of take this as my own passion project. Maybe I'll get a publisher later down the road, but it kind of gives me more sense of knowing that like, this is something that I worked hard for because all the work I'm doing myself and it kind of gives me more of a um, a more well-rounded view of what indie authors have to go through in regards to like marketing and accounting and admin and everything like that. So, yeah. And with no experience really in self-publishing, how did you find out what you needed to know and how you needed to proceed? Um, well, my dad actually um, has published books before in the past. Him and my brother also published a book too. So he kind of had um, a little bit of an insight on how the publishing industry works. Uh, we used to live in Ireland. And so he did it in Ireland. And he kind of had an idea. So he sort of helped me along the way. But obviously, over the years, the landscape has changed. And so it is, I'm finding that it is just trial and error. And what works for one author in one genre might not work for another author. So you really kind of have to just sort of see what works and see what makes what makes you feel fulfilled you know like I find the most fulfilling thing in terms of self-publishing is actually going to the markets and going to like Christmas markets and like bookstores and being actually to meet meet the people face to face you can see your readers and you can see the impact that it's having on them right I love that markets yeah. are great I've I've only started doing that um, I started doing that last year. I didn't do too many, but this year I'm doing way more. And it's it's such a different experience. Yeah. So yeah. What, are you, what are you selling at your, your markets? Uh, so I have three memoirs and a middle grade novel. Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah but it's know. it's really interesting to be able to, you know, tell people what your book is about face-to-face -face yeah. and engage in conversation about other things. Like it's, I don't know if you've experienced this, but have you ever been at a market and, you know, you're telling somebody what your poetry is about and then they, they open up their heart and tell you their life story. Yeah. It's, that happens more often than I had expected. I'm like, this is crazy for strangers to feel like in a way I feel it, it's almost like a nice compliment. Cause I'm like, Oh, you feel, you feel safe in my presence to open up and tell me very intricate details about your life. And maybe not even their life. Like I've had mothers who say to me like, Oh, I've never experienced this, but my daughter is in an abusive relationship and she can't get out. And here's her situation. And here's what I'm struggling with. And as a parent, I'm not sure how to navigate this. And you can just see like the pain in their eyes and you can feel their heart breaking as they're speaking to me. And I just, it just, it takes me back to that because I remember my mother, when I was going through it, 
like one of the things she said afterwards to me, and I wrote this in the book was I could see the way he knocked the light out of your eyes. And I could see that that mother who was explaining to me at the market, just explaining how her daughter was just like a shell of the person that she used to be. And it's, and that's just one example, but there's been so many stories of people who will just literally unleash their whole hearts and say like, this is what I've been through. This is what I'm struggling with. And it's a sense of like, it's nice to know that people have experienced the same thing and you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess it by just seeing them on the street, but then you are in that situation with them and you're like oh we're actually all all the same in in different areas so right yeah Yeah. um you you said that you had put all the poems down and sort of looked at them and decided um how and where things would fall in did Mm -hmm. did you was it like chronological that they rolled out was it an did was there like a clear emotional arc Yeah, it's kind of, I almost kind of what you were saying, almost both of them together. So it's like in order in my mind, chronologically based on emotion. (laughs) So kind of both of both of the things you just said. So um, I think of the situation and I think, okay, like what happened in order of like events? And then I go beginning to end. And so I kind of start the book with something that is a little bit intense, which is kind of the sets the theme for the book. That's the lipstick stains and coffee cups. And then it sort of leads into the transition of me getting out of it. And then the distinct shift is when I met, um, I met someone and they really changed everything for me. And that was very interesting because I had never met someone who also had a lot of dark elements, like with my first relationship, the abusive, the abusive guy I was with, he had so much darkness, but he, he made that everybody's problem. And that bled into everyone's life and made it so difficult and made it very hard for me. And then coming out of it and meeting somebody else who also was struggling with things in his life, but he still had this, this ease about him. And he still had this bright, energy and this aura. And I was so drawn to that. I was like, oh, this is like, people can still have complexities and layers, but it doesn't need to be detrimental to their character. And it just really shifted things for me. I was like, oh, like people are, people are complex, but they're not, not everyone's bad. And I think I was just so jaded from this past relationship Mm -hmm. that I assumed that things were so black and white, but then I saw this person and he really taught me hey, there's, there's layers to things and you don't need to see things so black and white. So it was very, um, it was a very pivotal moment. And you can see that in the book where it changes. Yeah, let's see if I got it right. I, I oh, think, yeah. okay, I think it changed um, after Contortionist and at Method to the Madness. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> Let me go back here. So Contortionist is... Um, what page was contortionist? Uh, 104. Okay, let me just take a look here. 104. Um, contortionist method to the madness. Um, not quite. Okay, uh, you're a little bit close. You're about five poems away. <laughs> um, so I'm five. I'm five poems too early. Yeah, I think five poems too early. Sort See, of. Now, now that yeah. speaks that speaks a hundred percent 
to how yeah. poetry is so interpretive to the reader. Yeah. Right? Like, so, but I can see what you mean because um, it kind of, it shows that I was sort of working through it, but I think the initial shift was the poem that says, um, change of pace. Yeah, just open talks to about, yeah, the poem. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That poem talks about, um, and it's funny, like I kind of use the, I use the metaphor of, uh, you know, marathons and the person that I met, he was very, um, the, the second person, he was very into fitness. And so, um, I kind of tied that in and in terms of my abusive relationship, I felt like my mind, I was constantly running a marathon and an aggressive sprint to a finish line that I, that didn't exist. And I was just covered in drenched and sweat and, you know, mistakes and shame. And then meeting this person, it made me feel like I was like, Oh, you, you can unlace your shoes now. Like you can relax. It's okay. And I think when you meet people like that, it's just very pivotal. Like you just, and it's, it's interesting. Cause he wasn't, um, wasn't like a crazy spectacular person. Like he's just very, you know, <laughs> average person. But to me, I'm like this, him just being himself is, um, is enough to show me like that was, that was in itself was spectacular to me, someone just being who they are. And so that's kind of my interpretation of it. Were there pieces that didn't make it into the book? There was, yeah, there was actually quite a few that I cut out um, because I am a very big perfectionist. And I, I even went over this book with a fine tooth comb so many times and I kept chipping away at it and changing things that I eventually had to like, almost wrap like electric wire around my wrists and be like, you need to stop, <laughs> stop because otherwise you're going to ruin it. Um, so I did, I chipped away at a few of them because I didn't want to put something in the book that I wasn't, that I wasn't proud of. I had some poems that I felt were, um, they followed the theme of the book, but I couldn't get the wording quite, quite right. Or I couldn't find ways where I could loop it in. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to chop these and I can still use these same concepts or these same poems for my second book. So I have a lot that I'm going to include in my second book and that kind of book is going to follow like a, a different theme. So it kind of will stand on its own. So, yeah. As you were going over the book again and again and again, did you experience an additional transformation or any other enlightenment? Yeah, I felt, um, well, obviously it's been, it's been 10 years since, since the relationship. And I think rereading it over and over, I feel further away from it. Like it almost doesn't feel real. It feels like a fever dream. Like it feels like something that I didn't even experience because it was just so terrible. And I think part of that, I actually block it out, but the main emotion I feel is just sadness for this girl like I just feel like I'm having a bird's eye view experience of it because I look at my life now and I'm very different and I think I've almost the enlightenment kind of came through therapy but also just through realizing that like I need to have fierce independence because in that relationship I was very codependent my entire life revolved around him and what he wanted my opinions were stripped away I didn't have a voice. I couldn't wear certain clothes. I couldn't act a certain way. And so now being free from that, I feel like I've almost, I've almost gone too far the other side to the point where I'm, I'm very independent. I don't like to rely on anyone. 
And that's kind of something that I'm working on. But I think I feel a lot more confident now because I don't really, I don't really think anyone would be able to come along and disrupt my peace. Like I value, I value my peace so much that if anyone comes along and even alters it in any way, I get, I get an initial gut feeling and I'm like, no, this isn't going to work for me because I know, I know how long it took me to recover from that, that I'm like, I don't have the luxury to put myself in a, in a tumultuous situation again. Like that's not, that's not interesting to me. I'm not interested in that. So I think that's kind of been my main sort of takeaway of just knowing knowing my worth and knowing um, my value as a person and knowing that it doesn't necessarily need to be tied to a romantic relationship because I'm good on my own. And if someone's going to, someone's going to come in and disrupt my, my peaceful space, then I'm not interested. So, yeah. What was the thought process behind deciding to publish the poems? Um, I think it was sort of half the pandemic and also just realizing how much I had, like I looked at all of them. I was like, Oh, I actually have enough here where I could turn this into something and I could actually create a story. Cause when I initially had them, it was just sort of like a jumbled mess. And so that what I was talking about prior was, you know, putting them out on my kitchen table. That was my favorite part. Cause I was like, Oh, I get to construct this exactly how I want. And I can, I can lead this story and take the readers on a journey exactly the way that it happened. And then for myself, I can look back on it and I can see it as an archive of my life, almost like a diary of something that I went through. And I can have that and be like, this was a crazy time in my life, locked and loaded. Now I can close that chapter and move forward onto the next thing. So yeah, it's been very, um, it's been very therapeutic and also just very nice to um, put it out into the world. And it almost, for me, once I write and once I finish something and publish it, it closes the box in my head. I'm like, okay, the box is closed. (laughs) Like don't need to. And obviously in, in interviews and things like that and book signings, I, I still talk about it, but like emotionally I'm, I feel so far away from it now because I'm already on to the next thing, you know? So, yeah. Did you have to study like poets and poetry in order to um, understand the genre or did you just like innately go I I innately went I just was like let's go (laughs) I I did listen to a lot so one of my main inspirations is Taylor Swift very very big Swifty I think she's an incredible songwriter and like some of her lyrics are just absolutely unreal and so I think that really helped me. Like I, I listened to a lot of that in the background while I was, while I was writing, but I feel like even through English class in high school and junior high, I had, I had sort of the meat and the potatoes of what I needed skill wise. And so I knew that I had that craft and I knew that I was, that I was good at it. So I never, I never really second guessed myself in terms of that. And I think that's a very interesting thing because I, I feel like I do second guess myself a lot in in a lot of other areas of my life, but writing and art is something that I'm confident being like, okay, I know I'm good at this. Everything else can be falling apart, but I know that this is my strength. So just lean into this and like, yeah. So that's sort of my little pep talk that I like to give myself. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Cause I was going to ask if at any point in this process, if you had like imposter syndrome or you second guess, like maybe I shouldn't be publishing these poems, but well, yeah, like you get imposter syndrome after it happens. Like it's it's a little strange. Like you almost don't want 
like, it's weird to have the spotlight on you. Sometimes you're like, Oh, here I am like at a bookstore with my giant poster and people walking in and you're kind of like, it's a marketing is a strange thing. Like I have this thing where I don't want to, I don't want to annoy people, but at the same time, you're like, well, you have to annoy them in order to get in their sphere to show them what you're trying to explain to them. Like, Hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm about. So it's this weird balance of being like, I want to be confident, but I also don't want to be overbearing. And so that I think is the imposter syndrome. Like every day I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like it's a, it's a different, if it's a different beast, I think to self-publish because there's so many different challenges that come with it. Like, especially, especially on the admin side, like um, the bookkeeping and just keeping track of, oh, where are your books and how many how many, um, you know, managers have them in your stores and what are their emails and how do I connect? And so just like the organization part, I think I feel like a little bit of an imposter because I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't really have a history of, uh, of, uh, bookkeeping or admin. So that's kind of like a journey for me, but I mean, everything else I think just comes, comes with the territory. And so I try and be as authentic as possible and let people know, like, I, I am passionate about my book. I think it's an important, message to share. And so I hope that it gets into the right hands of people who need it and who can um, use it as their sort of healing journey. If they're going through something similar, like that I would have wanted to read when I was going through that breakup, because I was selfishly thinking at the time at that age, you're like, oh, well, no one understands me. And you're like a little bit dramatic. But you know, the older you get, you realize like people all go through these types of things and you just need to find you got to find your people. How do you get people to stop at your table at a market as opposed to just, you know, how they do like the, the look and the walk by kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm also trying to find that balance. It's um, that's kind of hard. Cause you don't want to, I don't, I never want to come off like a, like a snake oil salesman. <laughs> I always want to be real. And so I, I always like to smile. So I always smile and say, hello. And I, I gauge their body language. And if they kind of come a little bit closer, then I'll, then I'll um, engage them in conversation, but I'll never be like reaching out to them like <laughs> as they're walking by kind of yelling at them to come in. Like I sort of, I sort of let them come to me and I don't take offense to it if they're like, Oh no, not interested because markets, there's so, there's such a fierce competition that your book isn't going to be for everyone. Like my book might be, you know, treasure to one person and trash to somebody else. And I don't take that personally. It's just personal preference. Right. So um, I like to just be positive and friendly. And I like to also just be authentic and just show up and hopefully even find something that we can connect on. Cause if we can find um, like a similar, similar thing, like the woman I spoke about in regards to her speaking about her daughter or about, anyone who's really struggled with any sort of abusive or turbulent relationship, whether that be um, romantically or with a family member, or, you know, even like there's toxic relationships, not necessarily just in partnerships. Like you can have a toxic job, you can have a toxic, mm-hmm. you know, environment with wherever you're living. Like there's, there's many different uh, areas it can go. And so this experience has kind of taught me to sort of cut out any sort of, any sort of toxicity. So what was your biggest learning from this whole self-publishing process? Biggest learning. Um, I think learning how to take rejection <laughs> and realizing that not, yeah, just like what I said, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. 
like there's been days where, you know, I send out so many emails. I'm like, Hey, like, here's my book, you know, and then it could be hundreds. And then maybe only one person will get back to you. And then that one person ends up, you know, falling through and then you never hear from them again. And you're like, okay, well, and so it's just a matter of having to dust myself off and just keep going and plowing forward. I think that's just been like the resilience of it, of like, this is difficult. It's not going to be easy. Like any sort of person in an entrepreneurial space or a business, like it shows you that like, it's difficult work. Nothing's going to go the way you want. Like even at some of the markets, like some of the actual physical things that happened, like one of my first markets, my, my tent that I had, it literally flipped up in the wind and fell apart. And then, (laughs) and then the, um, the sandbags that I had to hold it down ended up exploding everywhere. (laughs) Just so many, and like one of the days, you know, you get all ready to go. And then it was 30 degrees the whole week, very super sunny. Everyone was excited for this market. It's like, yeah, it's been a great week, great weather. And then the one day the market happened, the, the temperature dropped down to like, you know, the minuses and it was wind chill and everyone was sitting there shivering to death and there was no one at the market. And, and you're just looking at all these other business owners. I'm like, we're all out here hustling. Like we're all trying (laughs) to, you know, make a difference and to get our voice heard. And so it really, I think it creates, it makes you have a really thick skin and it makes you realize like, do you really want this? Because a lot of people, I, I think in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe a lot of people wouldn't go through that. Like they'd be like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay here to market. I'll just take my stand down and go home, you know, but we like me and some of my other market vendors, we, we stayed there the whole time and we exchanged business ideas and just talked about life. And so it's a nice feeling to be part of that kind of community. So I like that, but I think I realized the learning curve is like, it's hard. Harder yeah. than I had expected. Yeah. And that perpetuates like right after publication and continues yeah. on because, you know, yeah, you, you, you know, yay, you wrote a book. Yay. You published the book and yeah. now you got to sell it. Now it's like, now you need to like get, like roll up your sleeves, like roll up and get your hands dirty. And you have to consistently do that for years, like, yeah. like until you die. I yeah. know that's dark but I I think that's just the thing and so I I it's taught me a lot of patience I think which is almost good too because I'm naturally not a very patient person I feel like I always want things quick and fast and so it's really taught me to be like okay you're in this for the long game this is a long journey you're gonna have multiple more books after this you have to have multiple different strategies different ways to organize like it's a long haul and it's going to be hard and difficult and it's never going to go the way that you expect. So you just kind of have to roll with the punches and expect that stuff is going to go sideways. And then when it doesn't, you're like, this is a nice surprise, <laughs> like, you know? So yeah. well, obviously your experience hasn't stopped you from continuing to write because you yeah. mentioned there's a second book. Is this poetry or what is this? Tell yeah. us. Yeah. So the second book is, um, it is poetry. It follows a different theme so the first like just in regards to the first book the first book is very it reads a little bit more naive because obviously it's written from when I was younger and um the second book obviously I wrote um within the past couple years so in my like late 20s early 30s 
So it has more of a mature tone to it and a lot more mature themes. And I played around with a lot more vocabulary. Like I had a whole list of vocabulary and words that I came across over the years. And I'm like, I need to use these and I want to incorporate them in. So I challenged myself more on it. It's going to focus more on, it talks a lot about, I won't give too much away, but the general theme is going to be gardens and crime and men cheating on their wives and um, alcohol abuse and drug abuse and kind of just a little bit more like the the darker, the darker sides of things. And so how that all kind of weaves together. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to sort of see how it goes. I'm still sort of creating the flow for it. I still haven't decided how I want it to begin and end and what ones I want to include, but I do have quite, quite a lot um, kind of consolidated that I want to put together. So yeah, so that's kind of my one that I'm working on at the moment, but I think I'm going to give, give it maybe a year or so for lipstick stains and coffee cups to spread its wings a little bit. And then, and then when I'm ready, then I'll release the second one. So, yeah. You mentioned vocabulary and words that you wanted to use. Where did these words come from? They come from anywhere. Like I can see them. I'll see them on the internet. Like even one of the words, um, one of the words in the book, like uh, in my lipstick stains and coffee cups was cataclysmic. I remember um, Keith Urban, I think, was it? I might be, this might not be correct, but I remember he's one of my favorite artists as well. And he mentioned it once, something like, oh, it was a cataclysmic event or a cataclysmic something. And I was like, oh, I love that word cataclysmic. And then I ended up using using it in one of the poems in the book. So, hey, just me popping in with a quick aside. Did I scope the Internet trying to find out what this mysterious quote was? You bet I did. And did I find it? Yeah, I did. It was, in fact, Keith Urban who used the word cataclysmic, and it dates back to 2007 when he checked into the Betty Ford Clinic in Palm Springs. He did a video informing his fans what was happening with him, and this is what he said. There was no big cataclysmic event that happened right before I went in. What it was was a lot of small things that were happening in my life that were telling me very loud and clear that I was a long way from my program of recovery and they were making my life unmanageable. Um, I can just hear it like someone might say it in a podcast in reference to something else, but I will just take one specific word of the vocabulary and I'll write it down. And then I have this giant list of words that I think sound really interesting or that provoke a certain emotion. And I'm like, okay, I need to use this now in a poem. And so each poem will have like one specific word so that's sort of how I kind of piece together my poems. So They sound like prompts. Yeah, they're almost like a prompt. I think I, they're like prompts that I set myself up for. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've done writing prompts in the past and I feel like I, it almost, it almost gives me, gives me writer's block. Like I feel like if someone puts you on a, on a timer and they're like, okay, write this you got 20 minutes, I, my brain will go completely blank. I'm like, I can't, I can't work from a space of, you know, urgency. I have to just let it flow because that, that I think is my creative process of just letting the work flow and letting, letting the words come to me instead of putting myself on a deadline. So there's been months or years sometimes where I don't write anything. And then I get a little bit anxious. I'm like, okay, maybe 
maybe that's it. Maybe <laughs> there's nothing left, but I think life always like there's always peaks and valleys in life. And so eventually you're going to come back and you're going to come wrap back around to things and realize like, Oh, I do have something here that I can work with. So yeah, I don't really, I don't like to put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of, in terms of my writing style. I just let inspiration come. Do you find that a lot of the vocabulary words that you want to use, do they manifest a poem immediately or is it something that you uh, park off to the side for a while? And then when you're sitting down to do some writing, they kind of manifest again. Yeah. Yeah. I park, I park them to the side a lot of the time and I even use them. So I'll be writing like a different poem and then I'm like, Oh, this, I need a word that starts with a certain letter. Cause I like to use sometimes certain letters like in a row, like, you know, and so I'm like, okay, now I have to go into my, my big trunk of words in my note section and say, okay, which letter and which sound goes best with this. And I kind of have to plug it in and almost like it's a crossword puzzle. So yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting way I write. Like sometimes I won't know what, most of the time my style for writing is I always want the last line of my poem to hit people in the guts. Like that is, and one of my friends even said to me once, she's like, I love your poetry, but I'm always terrified to get to the last line because I know that it's going to just hit me where it hurts. And I'm like, exactly. I'm like, that's the goal. <laughs> if it doesn't hit you where it hurts, then I haven't done my job. So I don't know. That's a little, it's my little, um, my little secret to my song, my um, poem writing. <laughs> do you have a favorite in this book? I do. So it probably is the first one, um, mm -hmm. just the opening line, the lipstick scenes and coffee cups. Um, another one I wrote um, was called Vulture, which I really, and I remember I had that one, um, the very last line in my head. I remember, so the line is like, um, you get off on it, don't you? like a vulture with a handkerchief. And I just, I loved the imagery of that. And so I had that line in my head for so long, but I didn't know how I was going to piece together the poem. But I love the imagery of like a vulture ripping apart like a dead body and like literally wiping its chin with a handkerchief as if it's at like a buffet. And that sounds really dark and twisted, but that just gives readers an insight that like, yes, my poems are very dark deeply disturbing sometimes but there is light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> but I loved I love that concept I love kind of anything that um, evokes um, very clear vivid imagery because then I think it just creates clarity for the reader where they can read it and they can also visualize it in their head and help them create the connection of what the poem means can you read the first one for us sure yeah the yes. I'm I'm looking I'm looking through to see if there was one that I was like I made a note oh, about. But start oh, with yeah. the first one. Or if you're if there's any that you um that you have any questions about, I remember. Um okay, so the first poem in the book. So this is one of my favorite ones. So it's lipstick stains and coffee cups. So the theme of the book, and then that is also the title. So lipstick stains and coffee cups. Burnt lungs caked in black and ex-girlfriends who promise you death. How she danced for you in her bedroom in pretty black lace and your rose red eyes dripped like a faucet you couldn't turn off, pretending she won't kill you as if smearing lust across undeserving peripherals makes you feel more like a man of expensive taste. 
You know exactly how her lips bleed honey in unfamiliar places, how she is crawling to your front door when she forgets what her name is, and when she dangles candlesticks around your throat and slices your arms open with razor blades, don't you dare ask her if she is still starving for you when you know damn well a magician never reveals her tricks. Why, why did you start with that one? Oh, yeah. So that um, that kind of sets the, the theme for the book. Um, it is talking about it's interesting. I you think back to when you're 18, you almost you always put the blame on somebody else except for yourself. And so um, it does talk about this ex-girlfriend that my boyfriend had at the time. And um, she was very a little bit more promiscuous and kind of had a little bit more of a firm hold on him. And I remember uh, one of the nights she ended up actually coming into that. This is a, this is an interesting story. I, I told this to one of the girls at the book signing and they were shocked. So, so in the poem I wrote, um, you know exactly how her lips bleed honey in unfamiliar places, how she is crawling to your front door when she forgets what her name is. So there was one night we were, asleep in bed and I ended up hearing the front door open and it was like three in the morning and she comes up the stairs up through his house and I just see this I didn't know it was her at the time but I heard his front door open um footsteps coming up the stairs and I see I open my eyes to see this like dark figure hovering over the bed and she had came in in the middle of the night and she wanted to let him know that she was, you know, still in love with him. And oh my God. it was very terrifying at the time because you're mid sleep and you wake mm. up and you, you see this person and I'm like, what is she doing here? And so, um, you know, she, she'd been drinking and she's like, you know, I'm still in love with you and how dare you date somebody else and all this. And, you know, he had to like, you know, call her a cab home and take her home. And afterwards I, I kind of said to him, I was like, Hey, listen, like, I think, I think we need to have some boundaries here. Like, I don't think it's acceptable for your girlfriend to be coming, you know, breaking into your house in the middle of the night. And I think that's a pretty valid boundary to set. And just to give a gauge of how like abusive he was, he completely like shut down and just made me feel crazy. He's like, you're insane for thinking that like, you need to get help. You need to go to therapy. There's nothing wrong. She's one of my close friends. I'm not going to stop speaking with her. Just consistently and so that to me when I started writing the poems I remember thinking how I sort of almost placed the blame on her when it actually should have been the blame on him for making me feel that way and he would continue to do things like that where he would give me you know the silent treatment so he didn't speak to me the rest of the evening he just completely shut me out we went to sleep and I went to, I woke up the next morning to go and to give him like a hug or to kind of cuddle up next to him in bed to kind of have closeness. Cause I, I didn't know how to handle really um, turbulent, you know, conflict back then. So I just wanted to be close to him and have some sort of affection. And I remember he, he had his arm and he kind of stiff necked his arm completely off and sort of shoved me to the side of the bed and just didn't even speak to me. And that was sort of just um, the type of relationship that it was. And I remember being so um, torn up about it, that that, could happen to me and that like he chose to treat me like that because of something that 
because of me setting a boundary, me being like, I don't think it's acceptable. And he felt defensive. But the bright thing that happened after that was that, well, not a bright thing, but he did end up cheating on me with her, which I found out. And he ended up taking her to the mall. And I remember driving past that mall for years afterwards, being like, I hate that mall. And it just gave me this, this visceral reaction of like, I don't like to go past there. That was the place where I was betrayed. That was, you know, and I had all of these negative emotions towards it. But now I go to that mall and I do book signings there. <laughs> so it's crazy. Like it's come, it's come full circle. It's like, Hey, now like I get to go and I get to share this story and I no longer have this, like this, this knot in the pit of my stomach of like, here's the place where I was betrayed. I get to rewrite the story of like, here's what happened. And so the first theme of the book, it kind of does talk about, you know, that she was very, you know, persuasive and very manipulative. And she always would kind of always kind of had a very tight grip on him. And he didn't really allow her to kind of loosen it, or he never wanted to set boundaries in regards to our relationship. He always kind of went wherever she went. And so I saw that as this is her fault. This is, you know, and so you can see that from a younger perspective in that book of like, where I would place a lot of the blame, but then you grow up and you realize like, Hey, actually it was him all along. Mm -hmm. And later in life, I ended up learning that lesson and I became really good friends with two of the women that he also dated. And we're all still friends to this day. And we all kind of came together and we're like, Hey, this is a silver lining. He was terrible to all of us, but now we have this incredible relationship. One of them got married. I went to her wedding. Like they're both these very strong, independent women. And it's like, it just goes to show like the woman is never the problem. You always have to look at like the root of what is going on. And so the root was that he was manipulative and abusive and made me feel like I was losing my mind. Well, I want to say it's the, the book is very richly written. Um, I, I I don't, like I said, I don't always understand poetry, but I can very clearly in some cases feel and see the narrative of what yeah. you went through in here. And I just want to congratulate you on publishing the book. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's in book number two, even though it sounds kind of um, dark with some heavy topics yeah, <laughs> right but I'm, I'm curious yeah. now now that I've read lipstick stains and coffee cups I'm curious to see how how you will treat the next round of of um, issues and concerns yeah it'll be um it's definitely going to be a journey because it's it'll be nice to to read my writing coming from a place of experience rather than just pure pain because I think the first book it's it's a lot of angst. It's a lot of angst. It's a lot of heartbreak. It's my very first heartbreak. So it's very fresh and fragile. And um, the second book, I think, has a little bit more wisdom in regards to, hey, maybe I'm disappointed at this behavior. Or maybe I'm not impressed with what's happening, but I can look at it from a uh, mature standpoint and be like, hey, I'm an adult and I can look at this maturely. And um navigate it differently so it does it does show a shift but it does still cover the heavier themes because I think that's just like the bread and butter of how I love to write I love to write dark intense twisted bloody <laughs> details that's just who I am so excellent Jamie yeah. thank you so much for your time today and congratulations again on lipstick stains and coffee cups yeah thank you so much for having me appreciate it 
Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can learn more about Jamie and order her book from her website, jamielouisemadigan.com. I will post a link. And why don't you treat yourself to a Sunday morning lovely read by subscribing to my newsletter. It's substack.com slash at Dana Goldstein. I promise you won't be disappointed. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears. your weapons after you fire them, Mr. Brew. For example, <laughs> lipstick taser! Oh, it works so good.